Okay, we're going to look at Exodus 20. I'm going to read verse 2, then read verses 8 to 11 to start with. Uh, the Ten Commandments are in Exodus 20. Um, it starts out with God saying, I am the Lord your God, who's brought you out of slavery, out of Egypt, the land of slavery. Then verse 8, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, nor daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor the animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. As with many of the other laws in the Old Testament, it's repeated elsewhere. One, one notable place is Deuteronomy. I'd like to read that as well, see if you can hear differences in this. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your ox, nor your donkey, or any of your other animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest, as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. This is the command of the Lord from the Old Testament. In our series, as has been mentioned, we're going through this book, God in My Everything, which is over there on that table for sale. If you'd like to pick up a copy, I encourage everyone to be reading this with us. This is a book by a Japanese man named Ken Shigematsu with a very interesting perspective. Uh, he draws a lot from his own culture in, in talking about these spiritual truths, and so it's very, very helpful to hear a different perspective. Um, we're working together in our small groups as individuals in this church to uh, create for ourselves a rule of life, which is uh, like a trellis, like a garden trellis. That's what we call a rule of life. The word for rule comes from the word trellis. So the trellis is a garden tool, and uh, it creates a structure that supports the weight of a climbing garden plant or shrub, such as a grapevine. You might have seen grapes growing on a trellis. I think it would be powerful to have a grapevine uh, with it, with going up the trellis on one side and a big clump of grapevine on the other side to see just the difference a trellis can make. Because when the, when the grapevine is not given anything to climb on, it just clumps together and kind of rots in a pile. Not all of it gets hit by the sun, not all of it gets watered, not all of it gets the nutrition it needs, and it just sort of is a clump. But with a trellis, the, the vine grows up to the heaven. It climbs up the vine. All of the individual grapes are touched by the sun. Uh, they receive water and nourishment, and they grow and produce. What do grape vines produce? Grapes, fruit. And that's what Jesus talks about, us, us uh, bearing fruit for Jesus that will last. So a trellis is a simple structure we set up uh, that reminds us we need to incorporate spiritual practices into our lives that function as a structure for our spiritual lives to grow up as we walk with the Lord. The foundational structures are prayer, scripture, and Sabbath, which we're talking about today. But then it goes up into every part of our lives, our bodies, our family, our play, our money, work, justice, and witness. All these things 
comprise our rule or our trellis. And all these things are meant to nurture our relationship with Jesus. The idea of the trellis, uh, with this idea in mind, uh, comes from the idea of abiding or, or, or um, being in, in Christ. It says in John 15, Jesus says of himself, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. John 15. So we're talking about these, this, uh, the structures we place into our lives, which provide a healthy way for us to grow and receive more from God. More, more sunlight, more nutrition, more watering, and just to thrive and bear fruit for Jesus. That's what we're talking about when we talk about the trellis and the rule of life. And today we're talking about the foundational piece of the trellis that Ken identifies. He identifies, maybe surprising to some of you, prayer as one, that's not surprising. Reading of scripture, sacred reading, that's not surprising. But he says Sabbath makes up a root, a foundation for the life of a Christian. That's kind of a significant observation that he makes. It's one of the Ten Commandments, as we read earlier. It is foundational. The biblical word Shabbat is a verb meaning to cease or to rest. Its noun form means a time or day of cessation or rest. Rest from our normal work. For six days, we are to do all of our work. And on the seventh day, we are called to rest. So, why should we practice Sabbath today? I mean, not many Christians actually practice Sabbath. As far as I have seen. Didn't the need for Sabbath pass away when Jesus came? And didn't the Sabbath become fulfilled by Jesus in Hebrews 4? Well, the answer is yes and no. We no longer practice animal sacrifices in the temple because Jesus is the ultimate and final sacrificial lamb who shed his blood and died on the cross for our sins. However, the command we read about practicing Sabbath day and keeping it holy still applies to us as followers of Jesus today because the rationale for the Sabbath predates the time when sin entered the world. It predates when sin entered the world. It comes before everything. Now what I'm saying is that the rationale for the commandment to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy in Exodus is not a result of our human sin, like animal sacrifices were. That was a result of our sin. We needed a symbolic blood to cover our sins before Jesus came. But the command to keep Sabbath is not a result of our sin. It's pre-fall. It's ingrained into the fabric of the creation of the world. And why do I say that? Because it says that we as God's people are to, are to practice Sabbath because God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. That's the rationale for Sabbath. God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. It doesn't have to do with our sin. It has to do with creation, how God created the world and what his intentions are for how we are supposed to function. So that's different. That's a little different than the other things in some of the other things in the, in the Old Testament that no longer apply to us, like animal sacrifice. It's different because it's, it's in the very fabric of creation. Therefore, to go against the fabric of creation and, and not keeping a Sabbath is detrimental to us in many ways. It's not how we are created to live. Later, 
we see in Mark that uh, Jesus declares that he is Lord of the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was made for the benefit of people. Not pe people weren't made to slavishly follow the Sabbath every week. We were, we were, uh, Sabbath was actually, the Sabbath rest, the one day in seven, was created for us, for our, our good. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, and the Sabbath was made for the benefit of people, not people for the Sabbath. And Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, has gifted us this day, this day of rest for our benefit. And we, we need it. It's more than just a good idea or a helpful principle. It's elevated in the Old Testament as being one of the Ten Commandments. It's a pretty important thing. But maybe this one in seven day of rest doesn't sound much like a gift to you. Maybe it sounds like a wholly unrealistic and, and burdensome venture or practice. Maybe you have always felt that this Sabbath-keeping might work in the lives of others, or maybe people in days gone by, before our modern age came upon us. But in your particular case, it's not really very feasible or practical or helpful. You know, the, the Sabbath feels like a burden to you. I want to challenge you this morning to, to kind of put those excuses to the side, or ideas to the side, all the ideas about how the Sabbath is just not going to work for you, because we can all come up with a million ideas why the Sabbath is not going to work for us. And I want you to consider this morning that the Sabbath is a, is a gift from the Creator to us. And it will end up, because it's a gift from the Creator, because it's in the fabric of creation itself, if we follow the Sabbath, we will be blessed by God in that faithful walk. I recently preached on the passage in the New Testament in Mark where, where Jesus is being criticized by the Pharisees and the teachers of the law because his disciples are picking grain in the field, rubbing in their hands, blowing away the chaff, and eating the grain when they're hungry on the Sabbath. And Jesus declares to the Pharisees, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. That's a one-two punch from Jesus. Um, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You guys have it twisted. And I'm the Lord of the Sabbath also, just so you know. So in this short passage in Mark 2, we see two incredibly important points about Sabbath that are completely relevant to us in our day. One, Sabbath was made for humans, was made for man, and not humans for the Sabbath. And two, Jesus himself is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, Sabbath was made for me and for you. In other words, the creator God who formed us in our mother's womb, who knows the very number of hairs on our heads, knows something that we often forget, which is that humans need a day of rest each week in order to function the way they are supposed to, according to their design. It's in the instruction manual, if you will. Humans need a day of rest each week. If the instructions for a toy say that the toy requires four AA batteries, and you only have three batteries, so you put those into the toy, it will not function properly and your kids will scream. If we set out for a 350-mile road trip in a standard gas-guzzling vehicle, uh, we only fill it half a tank of gas. Halfway to our destination, we're going to sputter out in the middle of the road. And it's a bigger deal because we're, we're not like mowing the lawn. We are stranded, right? That's the design. 
The toy is designed to run four batteries. The 350 miles, the gasoline is required for that is, is set. We know what those things are. If we don't follow those guidelines, then we're going to have trouble. Now, God created us to, to need. You may not be in touch with this right now, and that's fine. He created us to need, to require, to practice a day of rest optimally each week so that we can function properly and be, be well in the midst of a world of busyness that keeps us on this hamster wheel of production that we find ourselves on. Now, it's a busy world, and we're encouraged to be busier and to work harder and longer. That's the world that we live in. The Sabbath was made not only as a command to be followed, you know, not, not, not just a command to be followed. The Sabbath was not, was not, man was not made for the Sabbath or just a commandment to be followed. Sabbath was given to us so that we can function properly as human beings made by God. You know, we, we need Sabbath. We all need this. And that is why Ken chose to put Sabbath in the foundation of our trellis. Bible, prayer, Sabbath. We all need it. How many times have I said the phrase, you know, I wish I just had a few more hours this week. I wish I had just one more day this week and everything would be fine. No, it wouldn't. Because then you fill that extra day an hour with stuff. You know? It's not, it's not a lack of time many times. Mark 2, 27, once again. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. We require a Sabbath to function properly. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. You know, Jesus himself says he is the Lord of the Sabbath. You know, Jesus has authority over Sabbath. After all, Jesus provided a way for all of humanity to enter into the ultimate Sabbath rest, which is shared about in Hebrews 4, 9-11. There's this picture that a Sabbath rest, one day of seven, points to, which is a, a deeper, more profound rest. It says in Hebrews, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his works. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Now, the ultimate fulfillment of the biblical idea of a Sabbath rest, one in seven, is the fact that those who trust in Jesus' finished work on the cross are gifted by God to be able to rest from any works or ideas of earning salvation that they might have and given a rest from our works given the, the ultimate gift of God, salvation through Jesus Christ, his work, not our work. And that's, that's good news. That's the gospel. Those of us who are trusting in Christ for our salvation are in a Sabbath rest of sorts. We've rested from our works and trusted in Jesus alone for salvation. And that's the ultimate fulfillment of this idea of Sabbath. But, but, but though that is the case, though it seems fulfilled here, we must remember that this key idea from Jesus and Mark Sabbath, we must remember this key idea from Jesus and Mark, that Sabbath was made for the good of humanity. In fact, in the created order of the entire universe, before sin even entered the world, we are encouraged to rest on one day each week because our instruction manual says this is what we need. Now, Sabbath was made for our good. Jesus has authority over the Sabbath. We still need a Sabbath. Even if we are resting in Jesus' finished work on the cross, we still need, we require a Sabbath rest each week. So that means that Sabbath is not a meaningless command, a throwaway. 
that we must follow in order to please God. That's not how we should think about it. Sabbath is actually what's best for us, according to God. And even before sin entered the world, we are called to Sabbath rest because God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh, giving us a pattern to do the same. So Sabbath is a good gift from our Creator. The goal of Sabbath is that we would practice this discipline and see the amazing benefits of a day of rest, remembering that this was instituted by God for our good, for our thriving, and for our flourishing. The goal of, of this discipline, of this practice, this part of our trellis, is to begin to see Sabbath-keeping as a, I get to do this, not as I ought to do this, or I have to do this. Ought to's and have to's are religious in nature. If I don't do this, God will squash me. If I don't spend five minutes in the Lord's presence before I say any words, then he's not going to hear my prayer. These same things you heard this morning. But Sabbath is not an ought to or a have to. It's a, it's a get to. But for many reasons, getting to practicing the Sabbath can be a challenge. I'm going to be very transparent this morning. I am very challenged by the idea of Sabbath keeping. In fact, keeping a Sabbath in my family for myself is something I've tried before, but it's really something I've only begun to practice more in the last year, which was inspired by hear, hearing Ken speak about Sabbath. Now, he broke through that religious garbage and got me to this vision of the Sabbath where it's a sweet day of rest that we get to do for our good. Now, right now, my practice is not yet at the ideal one day off in seven. But my practice has started out a lot slower. Now, Jackie and I said, okay, we're not doing Sabbath at all as a family. But Sabbath is, is in our design, what God has for us. We need to get started with this. So we said, let's start slow. Slow and steady. We're going to do one day for every 31 days. One day for, per month. And, we're, and our, our goal is to build up to two days a month. And eventually, ideally, to get to one day a week where we take a Sabbath rest as a family. So, someone who's a pastor, who's been through theological school, has been, been immersed in Christian culture and led a church for many years, you know, why is it that I and many other Christians have struggled with this idea of Sabbath keeping? You know, why haven't we just gotten on with it? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Does anyone, can anyone tell me? Shout it out. No. <laughs> Am I a disobedient loser? Yes or no? I would say I'm not a disobedient loser. Um... I can only speak for myself on this topic, but I, I will say that for myself, I have issues with the mixture of Sabbath-keeping and the religious spirit that often accompanies talk about Sabbath-keeping and spiritual disciplines like prayer. The religious spirit has really spoiled the gift of Sabbath for me. This is, not, this is a very concrete thing for me. I have struggled to see Sabbath as a, I get to do this, and I have really struggled with that, and I've had a more sense of, this is something I should do or I have to do, because of my own background. At the church where I spent my formative years as a, as a young man, as a teenager, the pastor preached on the Ten Commandments um, and on the have-to of Sabbath-keeping. The church was actually called, some, called something interesting. They were called a Sabbatarian church, which means that in this church, Sabbath was to be kept on Sunday, and there was to be no work that anyone does on that day. So it's a, a core 
tenet of the church I grew up in. The pastor preached, by all accounts, condemnation from the pulpit for anyone who would dishonor God by breaking God's Sabbath. Hear that language? If you stopped at a gro- they talked about this from the front. If you stop at the grocery store on the way home, you're breaking the Sabbath. If you go out to eat with your family or friends, you're breaking the Sabbath because you're causing other people to work for you in the restaurant. If you pump gas into your car, you are breaking the Sabbath. And it might sound surprising to you, given Jesus teaching the Pharisees about not splitting hairs, because they, they had rules about what you could and could not do on the Sabbath as well. Um, this kind of teaching says, I was made for the Sabbath. I was made to slavishly serve God by suffering through giving him a day of my week. And that's my duty. That's the message. And I failed to see how Sabbath is actually a blessing given by God as a gift for my good and my flourishing. It was nothing in the church I grew up in but a rule to be followed, among many others. And there was an implicit threat that not only would the church condemn you, but God himself would condemn you as a lawbreaker, and you would face judgment if you didn't practice Sabbath the way you were supposed to. Now, in the church I grew up in, some jobs were were permitted on the Sabbath. Um, A doctor was permitted to work on the Sabbath because they're doing work for other people's good, like pulling the donkey out of the pit in the Old Testament, right? And conveniently, the pastor could work on the Sabbath because they're doing such good speaking about the Sabbath to all of us and and making us feel traumatized for life. (laughs) But if you were a factory worker, if you worked at Walmart Distribution Center where I worked uh, as as an order filler and a forklift operator, if you were a grocery store clerk or something like that, if you worked on Sunday, you were breaking the Sabbath. And I was taken aside by a, a pastor and he said, I want to go out to lunch with you. Let's talk. And we went out to lunch and at lunch he had a manila folder full of stuff about being a Sabbatarian and, and keeping the Sabbath. And it wasn't really about lunch. It was about him telling me about how I'm breaking the Sabbath by working on Sunday. And these are my, these are my experiences as a child and as an adult. That was the teaching growing up. It's ironic that all these stipulations for Sabbath keeping or breaking were emphasized so strongly in that church because Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for just such hair-splitting. He did. Um, Religious folks get this one wrong. It is a get-to, it's not a have-to. And there's no condemnation for anyone regardless. Whether you choose to keep a Sabbath or not, you are not condemned. In Christ, there is no condemnation. You're invited to participate, but you are never condemned. There's never a five-minute waiting period that you have to sit in God's presence before he'll listen to you. These are terrible things that are set up that really hurt people and make us miss out on, on this gift that God's trying to give us in the Sabbath. Is Sabbath keeping easy? No, it's not completely easy. You have to like plan for it and make it happen. But it's good. It's good. It's for your benefit. So religious people get it wrong. The Pharisees did. The church I grew up in did. What was teaching from my church growing up? What was missing from the teaching of my church growing up was first, that Jesus fulfilled all the have-tos. Jesus fulfilled the have-tos in regard to Sabbath and in regard to every other law. He died on the cross for our sins, offering us the gift of God's righteousness and forgiveness, not based on our works, including Sabbath-keeping. Sabbath-keeping does not save you or make you a more 
distinguished and noteworthy Christian. A lack of Sabbath keeping does not result in condemnation by other people or by God. You know, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. That was the first thing that was missing in my church. Secondly, what was missing in the church was the idea that keeping a Sabbath predates sin entering the world. The Sabbath was made for our good, not us for the Sabbath, that God instituted this thing based on his own rest after the creation of the world on the seventh day and calls us to do the same. It's a gift. And when we practice it, we are blessed in our lives. So I remember as, as a kid, you know, everyone amening and nodding their heads as the pastor preached about Sabbath keeping and, and and, uh, and then you, we'd go out and we'd literally see other families from the church eating at a restaurant. You just pretend you don't see them. You know, pumping the gas, oh, pretend we don't see them. Because they're breaking the Sabbath over there. We know they're lawbreakers. And why are we at the restaurant? Because we're, we're Sabbath breakers too. We're all breaking the Sabbath together. But secretly, it's like a joke. That's a joke. That's just a joke. You know? It was ridiculous. You know, religion... And religious spirit is often ridiculous. As you can see, when Jesus interacts with the Pharisees and teachers of the law, we, we oftentimes laugh and we're like, oh, those teachers of the law, they're so stupid. Because um, it's ridiculous, the things that people do, the hoops that we make each other jump through. Um, it's ridiculous. Now, often we are those religious people, so we need to be careful not to laugh too hard. So there was a religious barrier to Sabbath-keeping that kept me from truly enjoying the benefit of Sabbath rest during my week. And I am just done with that barrier. I'm done with it. I've been fed up with it. I'm fed up with, with the religious sphere in many different areas. But now, thanks to Ken's encouragement, I see that, that Sabbath is a gift and a joy. He uses the word delight. And so my family has begun to practice Sabbath. Now we're doing it, working towards the, the one-day-a-month goal, We'd like to move it to two days a month. We'd love to do it every week, but we do not have condemnation or suffering for not doing it perfectly or not doing it like everyone else. Now, when my family has practiced Sabbath, do we have fun on Sabbath? Yes, we have fun. You have a dollar for you in the car. No, I'm kidding. When my, when my family has practiced Sabbath, we have been so blessed. You know, the day before, we, we all know it's coming, and so we prepare excitedly. Because it's like, we're going to be resting tomorrow and doing something different. So now we're motivated to like get ready for Sabbath. We buy the ingredients we need. We clean what needs to be cleaned. We might even use disposable cutlery and plates for one day a week, even though it's not great for the environment. It's good, it's good for our environment. And we wake up excited on Sabbath day, which we have done on Mondays, so that's my day off. I, I, I preach on Sunday and work here. Um, so... We wake up excited on Monday morning. The kids wake up do, because they know that the day is going to be a good day. The kids beg us to, to have a Sabbath because it's been so beneficial and fun for our family. It's a fun day. They know that on Sabbath morning that we eat a sweet breakfast. We have pancakes or waffles with uh, whipped cream and chocolate chips on top. They know that we're planning on or a bike ride or, or a hike or some other adventure as a family. They know that Daddy is not working or doing anything that resembles work on that day. And even mommy won't be doing what is typically on her plate, which is much uh, working at the home and keeping things the way they need to be. Now, mommy and daddy are doing something different, and that's unusual. And the kids know that we'll be playing Mario Kart on the Switch. 
or some other fun video game. They know that we will likely go do something fun as a family, like mini golf or bowling. Um, and us adults know that we can nap if we want to or need to, but we usually can't because the kids are begging us to do Sabbath stuff. Which, I mean, we have different ideas of Sabbath, I guess. <clears throat> but what a joy. What a joy that has been for us. We've really enjoyed it. And our kids are like, are we doing, when is the next Sabbath we're doing? We've got to do Sabbath. Well, hopefully one day a week someday, kids. So that is why I now see that Sabbath, as Ken says in his book, is an oasis in time for body and soul. Ideally, a day out of seven, although you, I'm telling you, that's not what I'm doing right now, where we cease from our normal work and rest in the Lord's finished work on the cross. That's a Sabbath rest. Now, Jesus took care of all the have-tos so that we might get to rest in him, especially this one day a week. We remember that. We rest because God has accomplished the work and we can trust him. It says in the scriptures that without faith it's impossible to please God. Now, Sabbath keeping takes faith, and faith always pleases God. God loves it when we practice faith. So to practice Sabbath, much like tithing financially to the church, it's an act of radical trust in God. It's saying, I have the faith to believe that God will provide the time that I need in a week, even though I'm taking one day off from my regular work. It's, a, it's an act of trust. And God is faithful. You know, when we honor God by keeping the Sabbath, much like when we, when we tithe our income to God, God provides what we need as we obey and follow him. And many of you could say, that's true of your life. Your time, when you're not Sabbathing, which is a new word, will be more productive the other six days of the work week. You'll begin to work smarter, not harder, because God will provide what you need on those other six days, and you're going to be much more fresh for the work you do because you've rested, which is what you need to do. And you will be rebelling against the spirit of the world, reversing the worldly idea that a day off is something you need to beg for, make excuses for, and feel bad about. You're going against the grain there. And you're going to go from a place where on your day off you rest from work to a place where on your day that your Sabbath is complete, you're rested and you can work from a place of rest. Work from a place of rest. Doing work from that secure place of trust and faith in God is a gift. That's a gift. Work from rest, not rest from work. And it's the faith that pleases God when we take an action, a faith-filled action to say no to the way of the world, which is always telling you to work all the time, and trust in God that he will provide what you need. So because of my spiritual, I don't know what to say, trauma, abusive, difficult background, it's taken until this year to begin to practice Sabbath freely, and I'm finally free to, to, uh, to chuck the have-to of Sabbath-keeping, and I now feel that I get to do this. It's for my benefit, for my family's benefit. It's made for us. It's truly an oasis in time for the body and the soul of every believer and every family in Christ. Now, most, most Christians do not practice Sabbath. But today, and there's probably many reasons, including maybe some of the ones I've shared with you, but today, I am encouraging you to, to begin practicing it for yourself. You know, do it like, why I've, like what we've done as we get started. Sabbath doesn't have to be on Sunday. Um, it used to be on Saturdays for the Jewish people, then it changed to Sunday at some point in Christian history based on the fact that, or the thought that Jesus resurrected on, on Sunday. Uh, but you don't have to have your Sabbath on a, on a Sunday or a Saturday. That's a splitting hair situation when we worry about the day. 
The Jewish people practiced it from sundown Friday to sundown on Saturday. Now for us modern people, the goal is to choose one day a week, which day is not terribly important. But on that day, we should cease from our normal work activities and just do something different, something completely different, to rest and nourish our souls. So Jackie and I started with one day a month. Our hope is to continue moving forward in this goal until we're practicing it. I, I think one day a week would be best. That's ideal. But I know that God is not angry at me or condemning me because we haven't reached our ideal one day a week goal. Now, faith is developmental, and God expects us to grow, to develop slowly. You know, much like with giving financially to the church, you just have to start somewhere. And God is pleased when you begin the journey, even if it's one day a month or a smaller percentage of your income than, than a tithe, than a 10%. You know, these are things that the religious spirit tells us have to be a certain way. But God says, I want you to practice Sabbath, Sabbath cheerfully from the heart. I want you to give cheerfully from the heart. God loves it when we cheerfully follow him. So what I always say is, if you are practicing Sabbath, 25% of what would be ideal for you, let's say you're doing it once a month like me, that's 100% more than you practiced Sabbath last year. 100%. You have to start somewhere. If you want to do one Sabbath a year and just start really slow, that's fine. You know, God is pleased with our steps of faith in this area. It's not all or nothing, and there's no condemnation for us. So trust me when I say, if, if, if you do what we've done and begin your journey somewhere, more or less than we're doing, you will be blessed in some way. And as you practice Sabbath, and, in, and your Sabbath practice increases, you're going to want to have Sabbath more often, because it's a gift. And if you do it right, not only will your kids be asking for it, you will be craving it. Because Sabbath was made for you, by God, for your benefit. You were not created by God to be a legalistic have-to person, but instead to be a free lover of Jesus who gets to take a Sabbath, each week, as a gift from God for your own good and rest. You were not created by God for the drudgery of working 24-7, as is recommended by the culture that we live in. And Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. As Hebrews 4 says, Jesus has already fulfilled the laws, regulations about Sabbath keeping by dying on the cross for our sins, but now we get to practice Sabbath and reap the many benefits that come with it when we follow God's instruction manual for how humans work. So that's the Sabbath, and much more could be said. Um, but I wanted to share my, the, the teaching from Scripture in those key places and my own personal testimony of what we've been doing. And I have some friends here in the church who, who do practice Sabbath, uh, and I, I've asked the Marquardts to come forward and share a little bit with us. Um, they, they've, worked, they've walked a little further down the road than I have. And I've, over the years, I've just noticed them saying, oh, Sabbath this, Sabbath that. Oh, interesting. Like, that's, they're, they're trying this out. And uh, I've loved hearing about that, and I've been very curious about it. Um, and, and I've gotten to hear about, you know, how, how, how their journey of Sabbath, how they've gone from have to to get to, and the different things that they tried, and some things that failed. And I just wanted to hear from them. So let's give them a round of applause because awesome. Because they're awesome. The thing that I love about the Marquardts is they have not given up on practicing Sabbath even when they've fallen over, which is really awesome. So thank you so much, guys. Yeah, so our Sabbath started around 2017 um, when I was in grad school. And that's because my tendency is to be 
uh, I tend to go towards workaholism and uh, fall into the way that the culture views work like Nathan was talking about. And so I would work, I don't know, hours a day and through the weekend, like all the time. I would get home from work, I'd do, you know, three, four hours of grad work because I'm a perfectionist, and then I would keep going on the weekends as well. Um, and so we originally started as a way to make a boundary towards that, and there wasn't much else to that besides taking that time off of work. There wasn't the, the extra activities or anything else. It was just making sure that I was not working um, on Sundays, so. Yeah, and I think um, in that beginning part, um, there, I think part of the stuff that Nathan was talking about was making me think about, you know, we obviously had to make sacrifices for that, um, but a lot of it was about, for us, it was trusting that if God wanted us to get something done, it was going to get done in the six days. And so with your grad work, it was a lot of that. It was, okay, this is where it was at on Saturday night, and it's due by Monday, so that's what I'm handing in. I'm not going to work on it on Sunday. Um, and for me, a lot of it, too, at that time was um, my job had weekend coverage. So, And usually it was if you were on Saturday, you had to go in. If you were on Sunday, you were on call. And we were doing Sabbath on Sunday, so what it meant for me was I, I volunteered for Saturday, which meant I had to work that weekend instead of being on call. But it also meant I wasn't going to get called in on Sunday when we were having Sabbath. Um, so that was kind of part of the, I guess, sacrifice on my end for it was, you know, once a month I was having to go in on Saturday while the rest of my group was just on call. Um, but for us, a lot of it, again, was just, at that point, was just trusting God with the, the time. And that, you know, we were trying to get everything done in seven days and still didn't always feel like it was perfect. And we were like, well, now we're just going to have to trust that six days will be better <laughs> somehow. <laughs> um, and so, that was, like I said, that's kind of where we started. Um, we quickly learned, though, that, you know, it, you can't just give things up. You have to pick something else up. Otherwise, you're just going to, like, stew. Or, or you're going to end up going back to the things that you gave up because you don't have anything else to take their place. Um, so, um, yeah, it's kind of evolved over time. Like we said, at the beginning we were doing Sunday, um, just because that was what made sense for us. Um, we've also, we shifted it to Saturday at some point, I think after you finished grad school, um, which the incentive for Saturday was that I could sleep in, which is not as doable on Sunday. Um, so we did that for a while. Um, then at a certain point we did shift to doing the Friday night to Saturday night thing, kind of um, the more Jewish way of doing it, mostly because we've, we've which we've stuck with that type of model since then. Um, a big piece of that is we found that like 
<clears throat> I think when we started doing it, we were doing Saturday. So we found that Friday after dinner, we weren't wanting to do anything anyway. So we were like, we might as well just shift our Sabbath so that it includes that time. Um, so we would do dinner Friday. We would usually, you know, watch a movie or some do something fun that night. And then Saturday would be our Sabbath until dinner. Um, then I don't, I think at some point we shifted it now we do saturday night to sunday night um so it's kind of jumped around but um like for like a practicality right now what we do is we uh usually we don't cook dinner on saturday so we do takeout or something do movie um the nice thing about having it sunday is that church becomes part of it so even though you can't sleep in as much um, the worship's built in, so you're ha you're you're not having to replace as many things as much time because part of it's done for you. Um, yeah, and in all the switching of the days, what we found is helpful is just having that consistency of a day. Um, you know, and these are seasons that have lasted years, and there are seasons that have lasted months of doing these certain days. But no matter what, it's been a consistent day, which has always been important um, in this. And so. What do we do on Sabbath or to prepare for Sabbath? Well, I think something that's practical for everybody is to take account of the things that bring you joy and remind you of the Lord and the things that bring you stress and pull you away from him, right? So to practice the things that bring joy and to avoid the things that bring stress. Um, and that can literally look like writing down a list of those things and making sure that you know what brings you joy in making the time for those things with the Sabbath? Yeah, and I think the other piece of that too um, that was helpful for us was um, just acknowledging the fact that everybody's work doesn't look the same. So um, some of the things that for someone else they might consider work, like, like I'll work on the church social media stuff on Sabbath but that's because it's very different than my normal job. And I find it like enjoyable. It's a, it's a creative outlet versus my normal job is very regimented and um, following procedures and looking at drawings. And um, so there's some things like that too where, or like Steven will do lawn work on Sabbath because his normal job is inside a classroom at a desk all day and being outside and doing things you know yeah physical labor is a more restful activity so um i think that's been another piece that's been helpful is kind of figuring out what box our work is in kind of and um and thinking about okay does this other thing which someone might think is work um does that actually fall into work for us or is that an like you know, one of our hobby type things or an extracurricular, um, something that brings us life and joy and reminds us of God in a way that's different than the work that we do, you know, the other six days of the week. Yeah, so, you know, what we found over time is that there's freedom to explore, tweak, um, and grow in the Sabbath. You know, we've had seasons of great Sabbath where we've been rested and ready for the week and we can work from our rest. And there have been times where we've had uh, really bad Sabbaths where we forget 
the things that help us where we don't put in the boundaries or we find that we lose the purpose of what Sabbath is. Um, but in all of this, or even trying to earn the Sabbath as well that we've, we've seen where we try and get all of our work done in order to rest. Um, and that's not the purpose of it. You can't work to earn your Sabbath. Um, so ultimately with this, what we found is that there's freedom to grow, there's freedom to explore, um, and it's a gift from God that we can rejoice in. And, um, you know, from Luke 12, 27, he says, Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like these. So God, in, his, in your six days, he can take care of your needs um, so that you can rest on the seven. Yeah, another thing, another like practical thing that I had thought about while Nathan was preaching, because I know he was talking about doing once a month is how they started. Um, one of the other kind of practical ideas that in a, kind of the circles where we've learned about Sabbath has gotten floated out is even just starting with less than a day. So starting with maybe dinner till bedtime on one day a week. You do dinner and then instead of doing a bunch of chores or trying to get things done, you know, you have a family movie night or a game night or something that's um, kind of setting that aside type Thing. If you want to kind of ease into it, that's another um, idea. Thank you, Stephen King. That's so incredibly helpful, so illustrative of this whole thing, and I appreciate your experience and what you're sharing. I encourage you, if you have not bought the book, pick up the book over there. If you can't afford the book, tell me and we'll, we'll buy you one. Um, the way that he talks about Sabbath in that chapter is different than what I've shared, but it's in the same spirit, and it's, very, uh, it's a very liberating and helpful chapter. So this would be a great time to jump into the chapter there.